Gentlemen, start your engine! Good afternoon, radio. For those who don't know, Radio Hotler. Thanks for coming and making time. It's on everybody's mind. For those who don't know, there's a big shebang. Sorry about that. Diabolical, uh, um, um, technical goodies. Radio Hotler. Oh, cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers. How is this playing out? What a, once I've introed, what do I do? Wait, uh, you just, uh, you know, you say to us, um, you know, well, how are you all, and blah, 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 and uh, mate, what are you having a drink tonight, and all that, you know, before we get uh, going, you know, uh, but what's everyone right, having well, a little drink on a Friday night? I have no idea what you want to talk about, so you'll better step in at some stage. Certainly. But you must have something on the, uh, on your mind. Oh, okay, Red. Okay, roll it. All right, well, so I reckon... Oh, preamble, preamble, preamble. Pregnant pause. <laughs> when you're ready, folks, don't rush. It's a bit of a. It's a bit of a. You two are the mark. Yeah, well. He's a bit of a lick lipper. all week. And now what do we have? The sounds of silence. And hang on. The viewers are not expecting. Yeah, it's going up and down again a lot. So we can. Do you want me to turn off? Can the video? No, 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 don't. No, don't can the video. Just leave it. The levelator brings it right anyway. It's fine. We'd rather. Why is it suddenly spiked? I don't know. It's just seems. It just have to, I'll send some text. I'll send some emails away about it. But it's actually better if we do the video. It sort of keeps it more show-like. <laughs> more like we can actually yeah see what's going on. It's okay. actually yeah. It's not the same without the video. Go the video. Yeah. I'm going to sneeze. That's all right. I'm back. We're, oh. yeah, you are indeed. We're back. Okay. Over to you. Well, this is exciting. My first time introducing Radio Hop, folks. If it's a w- episode 119 of Radio Hop Lab, how many episodes of Radio Hop, folks? Is this number one or is it like number four? It's a very weighty question. Anyone got any thoughts back there? Not really. No, I don't as you. Really, I don't think we really care. You don't care. <laughs> well, if you don't care, I don't care. In that case, good day, viewers. Welcome to episode 119 of Radio Hot Lap. Yes, it's that zany, light-hearted look at the world of motorsport, local and international, cool and emerging technology, gadgets, and of course, barbecues. Now, who's this strange voice introducing Radio Hot Fogs? You may well ask, it's the Fogs. With me tonight, our regular guest, Hardy and JP. <laughs> We've been relegated to cooking casseroles in the kitchen this because there's just no barbecues going on down this neck of the W. Episode 119, The Takeover Show. <laughs> I think it's about episode four or five of Radio Hot Pogs, isn't it? <laughs> Good it's to see cold you. enough over there in uh, beautiful downtown Adelaide for a barbecue, isn't it? You need oh, a bit yeah, of warmth outside. <laughs> Very, uh, very uh, spicy weather, one would say, outside that uh, wants to bring you in for a nice curry or something like that, or a bit of a cuddle with someone warm, or something warm. And in this Anything. case, tonight, it's the Rusty Sausage. He hasn't been on the show recently, had a little bit of a problem after eating cheese. And cheese doesn't agree with the sausage, and had to go away for uh, a few days of recuperation at an anti-cheese hospital. <laughs> But back who gave, who gave Rust the sauce the uh, cheese? <laughs> the people across the road. Okay, that's not a good look. Dogs uh, don't like cheese. Mm. The cheese don't like. Although cheese. the cheese would go very well with that red wine in your hand, John. Thanks for asking, folks. Nice segue, folks. To nice, to nice, to nice, to nice. It's my first glass of wine for the day, and uh, not that I started any earlier. Unless there's lunch. <laughs> a pepper tree. Mitchell pepper tree, Shiraz, JP, I might add. Would you like to get the uh, get the bottle? No, I can see it from here. No, guys. no, but folks <laughs> can't. <laughs> Do you know they'd actually run out of this at um, Dan Murphy's yesterday? The shelf was bare. Quite a nice bottle of Mitchell pepper tree. Um, I'm enjoying that. What about yourself? It looks like a very fun drop. 
Um, nothing so flash. I'm just uh, trying out a Miller Chill. A it's Miller. Uh, a beer that, uh, well, it has a mixture of lime and salt flavour in it. So I guess it's, <laughs> I don't know, a cross between a poor man's margarita and um, I'm not sure what. I was inspired to get this, although it's a bit underwhelming because um, you may recall, John, when we are in France for the Le Mans 24 hours, I took a very, uh, I became very partial towards a beer called Desperados, which uh, has tequila in it. So I thought this might be something close, but it's not. So I'm going to have to continue my search for this Desperados beer. Uh, well, look, guys, we've got a pretty... What about oh. JP's drink? Doesn't he get asked? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, JP, yes. Of course. Are you drinking there? Well, I'm never yes, quite I've sure because yeah, you're a... driving, so often you have to be moderate. Well, I am being very moderate. I've got a Cascade Light, thank you, folks, which is very moderate. Yes. Not a Cooper's Light? No, Cascade Light today. Felt like a change. I quite like the Cooper's Light, actually. You guys put me onto it, but it's very uh, difficult to get over here well. Difficult, that is in my local Dan Murphy's doesn't have it, so you guys might put in a good word, eh? On yep. your next visit over here, you'll be free to truck a few cases back with you in your salubrious Holden. Salubrious statesman. HSB, thank you very much. What have you got for us tonight on the show? Yeah. Very good question. I was going to ask you the same thing, but I think between us we've got a lot to discuss. There's been lots happening in, in motorsport. Certainly has. And boy, are we having a gay week. I am just so pleased. <laughs> you have very happy. Yeah, that's right. That yeah. uh, Mark Webber's won a Formula One race. Finally and deservedly. And we also had the V8s up at Townsville. That was a, a smash hit. So we can talk about that. Lots happening in Formula One and V8s particularly. I'm sure you've got some news in the sports car world. If you don't, I do. And then there's all the technology, because my favourite part of the show, of course, is tech time. <laughs> <laughs> Very good yet. Let's, so, uh, let's talk about Formula One. I watched the race um, from beginning to end and, and being completely serious, which was pretty hard for me, uh, viewers, as you know. I thought it was a really fine drive by Mark Webber to win that race against adversity banging wheels at the beginning there, which cost him uh, with Rubens, uh, which cost him a, um, a drive-through penalty, and the, the, the pace was strong. He never lost focus. I mean, that's this guy. He so deserved to win it. There's just, you know, you could have sort of said, well, finally he's won a Grand Prix, but, man, he really won that Grand Prix. He did. Indeed he did. He won that fair and square. He took control of it right from winning pole position. Came back from the drive-through penalty, as you said. Uh, the word I would use is, over the weekend, and particularly in the race, he was imperious. Uh, he really was never going to get beaten, and he just took hold of it by the throat, grabbed it, never let go, and won it extremely well. And I think all the doubters over the years who've questioned Mark Webber's ability and uh, whether he should actually be in Formula One, whether he should have survived into his ninth season. Um, well, any of those doubts had to be had to have been dispelled. Um, he is a very good Formula One driver. That's the beginning of the end of it. He's not Michael Schumacher. He's probably not one of the all-time greats, but he's an extremely capable and fast and now experienced Formula One driver who deserves his place there. And if nothing else, this victory is certainly going to ensure that he stays in Formula One for at least another two, three, maybe even more years if uh, Red Bull Racing don't sign him up very quickly, um, I'll be surprised. Weber is uh, probably the most popular guy in the Formula One paddock, which is uh, no mean feat because uh, Formula One, the Formula One paddock is referred to as a piranha club and they'll eat you alive if you don't watch out. And he survived all this time um, and is seen as a very decent, honourable, uh, loyal bloke. He's got a sense of humour, a bit dry, but a sense of humour nonetheless. He uh, tends to speak his mind, although he's not outspoken, but he's the more, probably the most candid Formula One driver going, which really is not saying much because a lot of them don't have anything to say. But, you know, he does speak his mind. And um, he's always been fast. And the simple answer to the question, if you're going to ask it, is why hasn't he been winning or contending earlier? It's just simply because he's never had the cars. Yeah. You know, when you look at it, Minardi, Jaguar, went to Williams, that looked like it 
would be the break, big breakthrough, but he arrived at Williams just as their relationship with BMW um, went headlong into divorce and the team was losing its mojo, so that didn't work. He moved to Red Bull and, uh, you know, after a couple of seasons, they've hit their straps. And what's interesting is that Weber's done this by coming out of the shadow of Seb Sebastian Vettel, who's, you know, the new wunderkind of Formula One, Red Bull's darling, their favourite. He was uh, part of their development program. And everyone has been talking about Vettel as being perhaps the new Schumacher. Yep. And uh, he already scored two victories this year for the team. His third overall since that astounding win last year with Toro Rosso. So Webber has uh, sort of sneaked in under the radar. Everyone thought that Vettel would just crush him. Um, Webber previously has dominated his teammates. Uh, this time, he certainly had a fight on his hands and Vettel while he's been quicker in qualifying um, at most of the rounds until the German Grand Prix. Webber pretty much has matched him in race conditions. And then, there you go, when it all came together for him at the Nürburgring, um, Webber wasn't going to hang around. He sped off into the distance, basically, once he got over that drive-through penalty. So, certainly it's put Formula One back on the map in Australia. And Aussies, as you know, love a winner. So everyone loves Mark Webber again. And um, <laughs> it's been very interesting. One of the radio sports shows over here in Melbourne. Um, yes, John? Uh, just, no, you don't need to acknowledge my waving of the hand. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, have to stop. Whilst everything. you are in Melbourne, we're meant to have a nice, comfortable flow of conversations. But to try to get a word, but you're waving at me, and I can okay. see you. Which video. means, which <laughs> means, can I say something? And I'd like to say, uh, imperious is describes a person domineering in a haughty manner, dictatorial, or perhaps even overbearing. Do you think that was a suitable adjective for you to use? It might be a little bit of a stretch, but I think it emphasises just the how, dynamic range of how dominant he was, and, he, and uh, he wasn't going to be beaten. So it might be a little bit of a, an exaggeration on the meaning of the word, but I think I think it conveys the message that uh, he wasn't to be denied that day, and uh, there was no doubt about it once he got in front after that drive-through penalty. Yeah. So uh, thank you for um, splitting hairs on that, John. That's very kind of you. Well, you know I have <laughs> taken you to task previously on your columns in Auto Action, uh, which, thank you very much, the Auto Action uh, arrive regularly. Um, there are perhaps, uh, perhaps towards the end of the year, you could consider writing a uh, glossary column. That has been suggested. By us. I don't think that will be necessary. No, other people have suggested it. What about a, like a, 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 you know, I could insert. <laughs> Guide to Fogesisms. Or just we'll, to... I'll, I'll take that under advisement, but I don't think it's necessary. I, the English language is rich and colourful, full of many different words that describe very subtle differences for the same thing, and I like using those, and hopefully my prose... Um, makes it more interesting and even if people don't know the meaning of a particular word they should get the sense of it or they can do what my mother and father used to tell me when I was a kid, go and look it up, look in, the it up in the dictionary. Absolutely yep. and for those who are not sure, dictionary.com is a very good uh, reference and uh, nice to know that uh, there's a PH in folks as there is in prose very good <clears throat> There Mate. isn't a PH in folks actually is And it was yeah. a <laughs> What are you on about? That's just an email address. Right, well, um, Townsville, I thought that was a, a very, very good showing there from, from the town itself to put on beautiful weather, uh, huge crowds, relatively interesting racing. And I think that uh, whilst Adelaide is definitely, you know, the king of the street circuits um, because of the whole entertainment package and its proximity to... Uh, uh, off-track activities and the, the concerts um, Hamilton's doing really well I think Townsville's going to be putting their hand up to challenge a little bit down the track because it's being held at a time where, where, where it can woo uh, visitors to a warmer part of the world mm. It got off to uh, a very fast start in terms of drawing crowds I think the total was just under 170,000 for the three days and that's not very far behind the first year uh, total attendance at the 
Flipsil 500 back in 99. So Actually, the start uh, sensational Adelaide 500? Yeah, it was. Indeed. It considering that uh, there are only about 160,000 people in Townsville, um, it, it suggests that at least half the population actually turned up for the race. And from what I saw on television, it was a very good look. The facilities came together, the track was uh, not as interesting as the drivers claimed it would be, but um, it didn't fall apart. There were a few little glitches, but otherwise it all seemed to go very smoothly. There's obviously a great deal of enthusiasm in far north Queensland for V8s, and they've tapped into it. And I think, if nothing else, there's a lesson there for V8 supercars that um, it has huge support in major regional centres, and um, I'm beginning to wonder why V8 supercars continues banging their head against those two walls that are called Melbourne and Sydney, where it's clear that outside of those two big world-class, world world-sized metropolitan areas, there is considerable support for the V8s. So maybe they should be looking at places like having street races on the water side of Newcastle, north of Sydney, and also Geelong, southwest of Melbourne, places like that, maybe even Ballarat. In fact, uh, having a race in Newcastle is, is a pretty clever idea there, folks, because it's going to give uh, Sydney siders a good opportunity to get out of town. The traffic and the, you know, the, the ability to be able to get there will be easy for them with the freeway. And uh, it offers itself great promotional activities for people to stay on and enjoy the Hunter region. So I think that's, uh, that's good. And also the, the landscape around the, the watershore there... Um, at Newcastle is excellent. Well, it's gone through a big uh, renewal of that harbour waterside area, and uh, last time I went there, which was quite a while ago, in the early stages of it, was looking pretty good. So I think a, a street race in that area um, could be very appealing. The, the only problem there, of course, it would need state government funding, and New South Wales is pretty much broke anyway, and they're already funding. Well, yeah, because and been, also Eastern Creek they own, and they're putting money into Rally Australia um, in early September up in the Northern Rivers region. So getting more money out of the New South Wales government to support a V8 street race at Newcastle might be a bit of a stretch, but I think you get the gist of what I'm talking about, that it, it seems to me that there are large regional areas or um, are the other major capitals where the future for V8s really lies rather than trying to you know, make a... Uh, a big show in, in Sydney or Melbourne's. Having said that, the Sydney 500 will be a big show, but it'll be more an entertainment extravaganza than it will be a race. The race will almost be incidental. And, you know, Melbourne, down here we, we're, or over here, we still need um, a signature V8 race because uh, Sandown wanders around the calendar and it seems to get stuck in, you know, the worst part of winter. Um, it lost the 500. That's gone to Phillip Island. It's a great track but it's too far out of, of Melbourne to draw a really big crowd. Um, the big date for the V8s in Melbourne these days is, is the supporting races to the Australian Grand Prix. Uh, they just don't have their own really standout marquee event in Melbourne. So again, I'm thinking, well, why not look towards Geelong or maybe in one of the biggest cities like Ballarat or, or Bendigo? Maybe it's food for thought. The other big thing about Townsville was the performance of James Courtney. He was on his way to winning the first race on the Saturday, you know, racing away on the first lap when the engine dropped seven cylinders and then finally carked it. Um, but on Sunday, he just disappeared into the distance. And, you know, finally, all that's doing is fulfilling the potential that he's had since he came into V8 back in 2006. Um, he's just have never had the machinery. Sometimes he's never had the discipline. He hasn't applied himself um, enough to the job and he's often relied too much on his you know, innate talent just to throw the car around the place um, with consequences such as you know, whacking the wall at the Clipsal 500 earlier this year. But he got it all together up at Townsville and I think that's a preview of things to come. Courtney and the Jim Beam Racing team, Dick Johnson Racing, um, seem to have got their act together and uh, they, I think, could be a regular challenger to the likes of Triple Eight and Holden Racing Team, but it's good to see James has uh, finally put another win, his second in V8s on the board, and hopefully this will be the, the spur to uh, 
propel him forward and uh, for him to perform at the level that we've all been uh, expecting and waiting for for the past few seasons. And that we know he's capable of, I guess, because, I mean, oh, he yeah. certainly did do a great job. There was no doubt about that. And uh, hopefully this will give him a bit of, bit of confidence because uh, I think that because he's been so up and down for so long that uh, he definitely had a little bit of a confidence problem and that was where he was maybe... Uh, you know, fading away and hitting walls and doing things like that. So uh, this hopefully might get him focused back in again. But it certainly was a great drive. Uh, and Townsville, I thought, was just terrific. It was, you know, <laughs> Hardy and I were talking about going up there ages ago, and uh, we never did. But uh, I'm sure it's uh, it's definitely going to be on the agenda in the next year or two. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I thought, yeah, no, I thought it was uh, the, the the small amount of TV that I, I did see because I wasn't actually around here or, or in front of you know, a place where I could have watched it. I thought it was very, very good. Watched the uh, the first V8 race uh, uh, with, with Jack Hills, good uh, on pole the for the race, fourth yep. time in his career, um, the second time this year after a pole at Winton. Um, he didn't blow the start, but was uh, certainly held uh, George Medici, Andrew's son, at bay, but got swamped by Gary Baxter, who decided to do a really late-breaking manoeuvre on the on the first, well, the second turn, the first turn, I suppose, is a little bit of a kink. The problem with that was that Jack sort of got sold a dummy and went, look, well, I'm going to break later than you, and the two of them ended up sort of sailing ahead of the fleet with everyone tucking underneath them. And, of course, Jack couldn't turn until Gary had finished his move. He was very, very cross about that with himself. I talked to him on the Saturday night. But um, then made amends uh, the following day with uh, a pretty good drive from 12th place in the second V8 Ute race to uh, 6th. And then starting off the front row with Leighton Cranbrook, um, uh, sorry, off the second position on the front row on the final race to wrap up third for the weekend. Continuing his lead for three, the third successive round in a row of the V8 Ute Championship by a slim five points. But folks, as we know, we only want to win a championship or a race by the smallest margin on the last lap. Indeed. Exactly right. I saw some of the ute racing from Townsville. It was quite interesting. And, um, yeah, a bit of a hard luck story for Jack, but um, he's there or thereabouts. Just so, just going back to Formula One, I think we should... Yeah, we do. There's a lot to talk about. What's mm. happening, you know, in the FIA versus photo war. Well, not a lot on the surface, but... Beneath the surface, um, there really is a lot of work going on trying to dot the I's and cross the T's and get a new Concord Agreement signed. Uh, I'm more confident now that it's going to get there, but there will be more twists and turns. This saga is not over. And the, and the real wild card that's been thrown into the pack, if that's the right term, this week has been, well, twofold. One, uh, rally legend Ari Barton. Yeah putting his hand up, um, saying he wants to stand against Max Mosley in the October elections for the uh, FIA president. As it turns out, he won't be standing against Max Mosley because Max has done yet another U-turn and says, well, now he's definitely not going to stand for for a renewed term as president of the FIA. That will come as very good news to the voter-aligned Formula One teams because this whole battle really has been about getting Max Mosley out of office. That's the good news. The bad news. He's pushed Jean Taube Ma- forward. Yes, Max. But that's not the first Max time is- that we've heard of Jean Taube being uh, mentioned here. And really, his, him confirming, you know, one day after Max has endorsed him, and, is, uh, and please, this is in no way to be taken in the same context, but uh, having worked for Ferrari, is it no different from having Campbell Little doing the technical scrutineering? Well, I was just going to say that Jean Todd putting himself up for election as president of the FIA, I think, and particularly as he is uh, Max's preferred successor, is going to be very divisive because the Formula One teams, the last thing they want is another potential dictator in there. And, and he is it. And, well, he, he looks like a, you know, a modern-day version of Napoleon. You know, if he stuck his hand... <laughs> I would have thought Ari Vartman would be the perfect bigger. solution. Mm. Well, yes and no. I'll get onto that in a minute. The problem with Todd is um, not his abilities, but it's just the perception that he's so closely aligned with Ferrari 
that the Formula One teams just don't really want to know about it. But I fear that John Todd will have the numbers because he has the support of Max and there's a very convoluted, complicated system of putting up candidates for election. They actually have to be part of a 22-person team that are put forward, you know, for the various, if you like, cabinet posts in the FIA under the president. So Max giving Todd his endorsement um, is a, a big plus for John Todd, but um, I think it's going to create problems on one level. Of course, being president of the FIA is a much bigger job, not that you'd know it lately, than just running Formula One. The FIA is not only the governing body and the representative body of um, all the national sporting authorities in motorsport throughout the world, uh, the ASNs they call them, the French abbreviation, which is just means organisations like the Confederation of Australian Motorsport, the governing bodies in individual countries, as well as representing all those and the... And, uh, running the regulatory structure of motorsport international. The FIA, of course, represents all the um, mobility or touring clubs around the world, such as the RACQ, the RACV, the NRMA, the AAA in the United States, and is involved in uh, road safety initiatives, the FIA, and in fact, Max Mosley were directly behind um, the Euro NCAP um, safety star system where new cars are tested and their safety is rated according to stars and that's been a very good initiative and there are, there are lots of broad based things the FIA does and the FIA president actually runs all that so it's not just about Formula 1 Formula 1 is the most visible activity that the Formula 1 is in, that the FIA is engaged in and it also generates a lot of revenue so on one hand you've got Todd's candidacy uh, probably stirring up a lot more friction in the Formula 1 civil war that's looming on the other hand, it's a big, big job in a big, big, wider world, and he he probably does have the credentials and the abilities to, to run that. He's, I mean, he has a long history of involvement in FIA affairs. He was on the World Motorsport Council, and I believe at the moment he is the, the head of a uh, FIA-supported safety initiative of, of some kind, a safety campaign. So... I think in the end, he probably will have the support and the numbers to take over from Max Mosley. It, it just depends on how much the, the Formula One, the photo-aligned Formula One teams kick up. So the bottom line of all this is no resolution yet. All the parties are working towards it. But as I think I've mentioned before, I think there'll be many more twists and turns before this well, the affair is finally resolved and we get you know, what we've always had, one unified Formula One uh, world Championship next year and the teams operate under a new Concord agreement. Once that agreement is signed, everything will be a lot more peaceful because everything will be written down and specified in a contract. So we'll just wait and see where, where it goes and where it all veers off to before it finally gets to the finish line. Now... You said earlier that you were going to come back to Vatanen. Um, are you still about to do that? Because I know that... Uh, Martin Whitmarsh has actually thrown his weight behind uh, Ari, and so supposedly has uh, John Howard, who's the vice uh, pres of FOTA. Um, John Howard, they... isn't he Toyota? Howett. Oh. Yeah. How... Yeah, the boss of the... Well, he would, cert... yeah, he would certainly... Ari Bartman would certainly be the preferred candidate as far as most of the Formula One teams were concerned. And Ari Bartman, you know... He's a very famous figure in motorsport, well-loved, former world champion, one of the most spectacular rally drivers um, Well, known ever for seen, the Peugeot rain dance uh, um, <laughs> video Pikes of, of Pikes Peak, absolutely, in the Peugeot yep. 406, I think it was. Uh, I think it was the 206. Okay. Sorry. Well, Group B monster back in those days. He also has experience of, uh, of high-level governance. He was a member of the European Parliament um, until relatively recently. Um, where he'll fall down is that, um, well, a few things. One, he, he's just never had an active role in FIA affairs, um, so he'll be uh, struggling to get support there. Um, apparently he has some interesting contrary views on global warming that won't uh, go down very well with a lot of the uh, Turing clubs that are members, powerful members of the FIA, many of whom are you know, engaged in uh, green motoring 
programs of their own. So a guy coming in as the boss of the FIA, the big boss, um, who apparently um, doesn't buy the global warming argument, um, well, that'll be a hard sell. And um, I think, to put it delicately, um, Ari does have some um, health issues um, which may not uh, support his case. But as a major figure in motorsport with a high profile... Um, he may get up just simply because he's seen as the the best worst alternative, if, if you know what I mean. But um, he appeals to me. You know, I, I don't have any qualms about John Todd's um, abilities and his um, uh, his qualifications for being the FIA president. But I just think it'll be a very divisive reign as far as motorsport is concerned. So. That's my perspective on Bartman. And uh, Hardy, I was going to talk to you about sports cars. Do you have any um, interesting news you want to impart? Because a couple of uh, pretty interesting things have happened lately in the sports Absolutely. Car. And in fact, uh, I was going to say that uh, if we cast our mind back to 2003, to the uh, Bathurst 24-hour, <clears throat> we had a, a very good uh, entry there from... Uh, an English uh, gentleman called Martin Short, who uh, brought Moses to Australia. Moser, in fact, yeah. Moses is now running their MT900Rs here in Australia with Craig Baird, and I think the things are being imported by John Chulin. Um, well, they're going to run an MT900R at Spa 24-hour next weekend with uh, some drivers I've never heard of, but one who's renowned for wearing baggy trousers. <laughs> and said he wanted that to get back to Formula 1. That would be The shark himself. <laughs> yes. He's yes, that's very exciting. Drive. Now, I don't want to put a mocker on this, and, and, and I don't want to go down a, a weird track of thought, but, you know, motor racing has this weird history of doing odd things that aren't really very positive when people go outside what they know. Here's someone, and he's going to drive a Mosler. I'm sure it's a great car, um, as is, you know, and there Michael Schumacher having a bit of a drive of, of, of super bikes and things like this. This is the little things that worry me, that these guys, as legends as they are, they get killed doing something so simple that they sort of just, it was just a weekend out. That well, I, I've me. got to say, it's, it sounds like a bit of a come down for a former Formula One world champion and but everyone's car, the Indy car champion and winner of the Indy 500. Um, and it's a pretty fearsome beast just to have a bit of fun on a, on a, on a weekend, particularly at you know, such an awesome track as Spa Francorchamps. But, you know, Jacques is one never to shirk a challenge. He loves a challenge. One of the few guys who's deliberately gone through a rouge at Spa flat chat in a Formula One car just to see what would happen. Well, what happened was a big shunt. In fact, I think maybe twice, <laughs> two years successively. But each time he, he got out of the smouldering wreck, wreck and rated that as, as good fun and one of the most exciting things he'd ever done. So I tell you, the lad's a bit strange. I mean, he's a great character, but <laughs> well, I would, let me rather, I would let me... rather see him having a go at the Bathurst 1000 mm -hmm. than driving a I don't know if we're ready for that level of politics, mate. Uh, it seems like while I was overseas where the Ute Gate scandal was on, which, of course, the, uh, the powers-to-be at v8ute.com.au, uh, uh, unnameable that they are, couldn't manage to capitalise on that <laughs> for their minuscule marketing management mentality. Um, you mean it wasn't but, about uh, a scandal in the V8Ute Ute series? Oh, but, I thought uh, it was. <laughs> Shark will be joining none other than well-known... Um, Vincent Rademacher, Ho Ping Tung, and Loris de Sordi. Well, I've heard of Vincent Rademacher. He used to be uh, quite a handy touring car driver back in the day. Okay. Uh, well, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, so that's a bit of interesting sports car news for you. Um, obviously, then, that uh, is a bit of a segue, as one would say, yeah, but hopefully you would have said that, JP, but you were too slow on that, is that the Spark 24 Hour uh, is on this weekend, and uh, I suppose we can have a quick look and see who's really running. What, what is interesting is that 
Audi is going to run one of their R8 LMS cars, the car that actually came fifth place at the 24-hour um, of Nürburgring. They're evaluating, and in fact, so is Aston Martin. We'll get onto that a little later. They're evaluating whether this car might be a contender with some upgrades to race for the inaugural FIA GT1 World Championship that Stefan Rattel is putting on next year. So um, that's going to be interesting to see what goes on there. And this week, there's also been a huge amount of uh, requests from customers to David uh, Richards' Aston Martin operation saying, look, can you build us a car to run FIA GT1 next year? And they've said, look, uh, we, we really can't, but we could probably do an upgrade package. So it appears that Aston Martin is probably discussing this situation with the SRO and FIA GT to find out whether it's actually actually uh, you know, a viable proposition. I think this World GT Championship is going to be interesting. It's been announced as a 12-race series, I believe, of which six venues already confirmed. Eastern Creek in Sydney has put its hand high up to grab around in Australia. Oh, my and God. And Eastern Creek say that they can do that without government assistance, which is pretty handy because they're not going to get it. So <laughs> they're not going to get money to upgrade the track. So What the, about a super phosphate spray job? <laughs> Eastern Creek is already a... Uh, Category 2 or Level 2 international standard track. They did upgrade it to that level um, a couple of years back for the A1GP events. Um, so it could be a, a pretty good event. And uh, I think what's interesting to my reading of what's going to happen in the internet, in the World GT Championship for next year is that the organisers are actively... Well, they're actively dissuading manufacturers to get directly involved. They want the leading teams to be essentially privateers, but running cars perhaps that have been initially developed by the, manufacturer, by the manufacturers. And I'm thinking particularly of uh, Nissan, which is having a, a development program this year for a GT1 version of the Nissan GTR that they'll run in selected events this year. And then they'll hand that off um, to... Um, Independent teams next year, so it's that's my reading of it. Is that about right? Yeah, well, it's a bit. Yeah. It, it, I must say that's a little bit odd that Gigawave have uh, not are not fronting that car uh, in whatever guise. Just you know, get some mileage and some benchmarks. Um, considering uh, at Spa, considering they are the the contracted supplier to develop the the Nismo GT1 car with with Darren Turner at, at SL. Uh, I thought that's a bit odd, and you know, I think Audi's mentality is clever. Like, Let's put the car up there, you know. We, we're not, we already know it's a good car. What I we, thought Spa was one more? of the four events that Nissan were going to run, or, and with Gigawave, we're going to run the prototype duty uh, as a build-up to next year, I uh, think along that project, with uh, the race in Portugal and Silverstone. But, mate, that project is off the rails. That's my guess on it, because... They would that it was significantly noted that Gigawave and Nismo did not front the GD1 uh, car at the Goodwood Festival of Speed a couple of weeks after Le Mans, and you would have thought that's a, a, a good thing. Now there's too many things now happening with Gigawave in that project that it, I think I think something's gone awry. Bears investigation. It does. This week now also I can tell you something. Yes. News for the Le Mans 24 Hours going forward next year. Aston Martin have yet to decide whether they're going to run again in the outright class to challenge Audi and Peugeot next year. And my mail is that it all hinges on discussions that have only just taken place as soon as as recently as yesterday um, between some of the manufacturer representatives and the ACO, the Auto Club de l'Ouest, which runs the Le Mans 24 Hours, about bringing petrol engine cars into parity or as near as damn it to parity with the diesels. The diesel-powered cars, as you know, have a uh, significant advantage um, in the race at the moment. And Aston Martin uh, racing boss David Richards has made it quite clear that he's not interested in going back with an outright entry again unless the petrol cars are given some concessions so that they can actually challenge the diesel-powered Audis and Peugeots. So... The ACO has apparently given a commitment that they will reduce or eliminate the performance gap between the petrol-powered cars and the diesel-powered machines, and they've promised that they'll 
put out some new regulations for next year's event um, by the middle of next month. And um, if they uh, go through with their commitment, their promise, Aston Martin will be back um, with an outright, uh, another outright assault last year. And I think based on the excitement Aston Martin generated this year, um, that'll be a good thing. And then, of course, next year's rules uh, will lead into discussion about what the next generation of Le Mans regulations will be due for introduction in, I think, 2011 or certainly 2012. And uh, I think the discussions there are going to centre around some quite, um, if not radical, interesting proposals on power plants. And um, the indication I got from talking to the Audi Sport boss, Wolfgang Ulrich, at Le Mans was that they're looking at some sort of well, almost standardised small capacity four-cylinder turbocharged engine um, and a new take on uh, diesel power. So that'll be something um, we'll follow with great interest. Uh, certainly you two will, won't you? Absolutely. Uh, Aston Martin put a huge amount of effort, as we, we both know, into, into Le Mans and certainly a lovely place to go. In fact, the, the nicest bunch of steps walking into there corporate facility <laughs> with lovely ladies draped on either side statuesque as they may be called a good word S like protecting the home of none other than Mr Little the sad driver sitting in there with a smashed car Stuart Hall <laughs> you do like calling him Stuart Little don't you one of the Aston Martin drivers at Le Mans <laughs> I wasn't going on to say that um, what I was actually trying it, to is say is this you, going somewhere you, you, yeah, you know there's something I've got to say folks JP and I were talking about the radio show the other day and we felt that you know we've gone away from our roots and our, what our roots were it was that the radio show was well, it wasn't meant to be a radio show it was about JP and I Sitting Get down together. and having a beer. And well, having a drink and a chat about, about motorsport. That's right. And, and technology. Dribble. And we've sort of, we've changed our structure a little bit to sort of, now pre, slightly pre-preparing. Yeah. And, and we must go back to this, well, our roots. Our roots. Our dirty roots. <laughs> where we don't prepare anything and just talk. And that's what, that's what the whole thing, why it was good. Yeah. So... That's why a little Stuart Little got brought in there, because I remember the hotties at the front door of Aston Martin. But what I was going to say was this week, leading me on, after a imbibing glass of Mitchell Pepper Tree Shiraz, was that uh, Alan McNish came out and said, we need to race that R15 a bit more if we're going to do any good, because we've had our ass kicked. And, and it's good for us to have our kick because we've been un kicked for a long time. And Peugeot's going, Peugeot is going to come back and um, and try and get us next year again. And that, that could well be, you know, the reversal. Um, so McNish has been urging Audi to race the car more because there's nothing going on between, I think, Le Mans and then Petit Le Mans at um, Road Atlanta. One of Don Panos's yes. uh, beautiful tracks. Really lovely place. You've not been to, folks? I have not, unfortunately. It is the reverse of Bathurst. You plunge Has McNish, by the way, not heard there's a global financial crisis on and that car manufacturers are bleeding to death and Audi is one of them who cut, which has cut back its program this year because of the economic climate. Has that not occurred to him? All very well, he wants to go racing around the countryside everywhere and <laughs> it would work, but Audi's program this year has been flagged from the start as being a very truncated one simply because, um, you know, they're cutting back on their expenditure um, in the midst of a very uh, difficult economic climate. So it's all very well for him to say we should be racing more, but <laughs> they're not going to. Mm. There you go. Have you ever been to Lime Rock? No, I've not either. No, in Connecticut. No, no, I've not either. No, no, I haven't been there. I just asked, have you been there? No, I've not. There are actually some racetracks in the world that I haven't been to that may surprise you. Yes, if you go to e-tracks e, e online, 
www.chrischannon.com. You'll find that uk. You'll find there's a uh, Chris. Can you get that sorted out? Uh, thank you, Chris from V8 Central. Yeah, for doing Chris. the show notes. Fact, we should say thanks to Chris. Yeah, we haven't seen uh, because he doesn't realise. Yep. I mean the folks that is. No. How, how Chris, Chris, is, how Chris yeah. is engineered yeah. and locked in. He's got his mobile number and now is displaying thanks to Google Latitude exactly where Fogs is in the world. Yeah. And if you if you zoom in what? really, really deeply, you'll find he goes up and down a little bit like this at night. <laughs> is that right? I don't know how that'll work. <laughs> he is indeed an unsung hero, is Chris. <laughs> and you're certainly uh, getting the program back to its roots by just rabbiting on and being totally That's unprepared. Right. This, so, yeah, I know, I'm the I'm new not, captain is going to take control of the ship again. You know, We're going to Lime Rock, Lime Rock this weekend. So, Lime Rock no, with Brad no, and no, no, uh, You've been relegated. No sports cars. That's it. You're the anyway, Brad, though, you do good. <laughs> okay. What is it? Now it's time for. Oh. Tech talk time. What do you got for us, guys? Go on, JP, step up. Step up. Well, 3Mobile have finally released their iPhone plans, which is pretty good. And uh, they're pretty comparable with uh, Optus by all accounts. Um, but they've dropped the entry point. So um, $49 plan with 3Mobile, uh, you can get yourself an iPhone. So uh, there you go. That's good news. $49.79 and $110 per month on the 16 gig. And uh, you can get an iPhone 3GS free. Let me tell you, uh, let me tell you, uh, viewers. And they'll that, let you tether, unlike Telstra. Yes, there's tethering. Now, and I'll explain tethering. Yes, tethering. Who, because I've had a tethering experience and it's been really, really positive. And that wasn't when he was tied up by his ex girlfriend, viewers. We'll go on to the barbecue story later. <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, I thought, look, I'm going to Crescent Head last week uh, for a bit of a break and not that anyone thinks I need one. <laughs> and uh, with uh, Miss Briz Vegas and the small child. And uh, I thought, well, I've had this really good 3G experience on the iPhone there, but I, I can't really do any work with it. It's just, you know, I can't do Dreamweaver or Photoshop. So what I did was rang up uh, Optus and said, look, would you enable tethering? Which means, can I connect my mobile phone to my laptop over either Bluetooth or USB and let it be the modem? The same as like yeah. a dongle that, that yeah. Telstra would provide for you in the side, but at a much more reasonable charge. Well, I was getting three gigabyte a month on my like all-you-can-eat plan from uh, Optus, but I, man, I was not able to do more than 300 megabyte of data in nine or ten months. Suddenly, it opened up a whole new level of connectivity. So I was getting 800 megabit, um, 800k down, yep. 400k up. A very right. reasonable medium speed ADSL solution uh, in a totally rural environment. Unbelievable! And what's more, I'm travelling down the road in Mark uh, Mark Nagler's uh, <laughs> VL Commodore VL with Whoa. matching doors, not. Uh, and we go. He goes, Johnny. I want a steak. Um, so I'm googling for steaks as we're travelling. It, it's just so cool. The problem herein is with the service providers. I think for ten bucks, I'm happy to pay for that. You know, on top of my existing quota. The, the problem is with Telstra. They say, well, we won't give it to you at all. Because that's going to it's going to cannibalise yep. the, the 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 sale of their next G dongles, which give you relatively similar performance and very small data caps, maybe five hundred megabyte a gig at the most for probably up to eighty or ninety dollars. Um, Vodafone said we'll do it for five. I don't know what their performance is like, but. The secondary problem for Telstra is that up until now, everybody gets their data over fixed line networks, meaning that it's a phone line which is plugged into a router that may be delivering wirelessly over Wi-Fi into your local area network. When you start moving around, you start using the 3G mobile network. Suddenly everyone's gone, how useful is this? I can take my laptop down to the pub. I can take it in the car anywhere I go. I'm going to use my laptop uh, with my mobile phone 
as the connection point. This then will put a huge strain on the 3G network. It shouldn't, because Telstra's promised it's robust enough, but I would imagine well, they just don't have funny the infrastructure to be able to do that. And I see that as very anti-Australian. Well, apparently there's, um, there's, there's a, a guy wrote an article that I read last week, and that's exactly what he was saying. And it's not just Telstra. He said all of the carriers have actively encouraged people to leave 2G and 2.5G and go to 3G. But now, with the rapid adoption of iPhones and the amount of data that's suddenly being downloaded, they're all crapping themselves that the networks can't keep up with the actual requirements. There's a third issue there, JP, with the iPhone and why Telstra hates it so much. It's because it's the first phone ever that they have never been allowed to stick their brand on it physically. And that just drives them nuts. And they can't pre-configure it so that if you want um, music, you can go to Big Pond's music store. Which and, and Because that, Apple have said, don't be stupid. Yeah, Why and, would we do that? We've got iTunes. And they have to do that. And it's, yeah. it's, again, it's cannibalising their own stupid yep. Big Pond solution, which well, is all go. rubbish anyway. Yeah, they did seem to be dragged into the iPhone, kicking and screaming, because as you say, they weren't able to skin it yep. and uh, put other features on it. And... Um, in amongst all this, I've mentioned it before, but then on top of that, they have the hide, you know, to charge you a $150 unlocking fee if you went and bought the blessed thing outright. Yeah. So, just another demerit point against um, Telstra, I'm afraid, along with the fact that um, their data rates on mobile phones is um, extortionate. But uh, how do you see then um, the relationship between V8 supercars and Big Pond Telstra? Um, in the future, considering that uh, there's a lot of unhappy customers out there? That's a pretty good question. I uh, often wonder about Big Pond and the value they get out of V8 supercars. They seem to alternate between promoting it heavily and... Um, and not promoting it at all. Not, not really <laughs> utilising it fully. Um, it continues. There's a lot of V8 content. Um, well on the Big Pond site and more to the point on the V8 supercar site which is actually run and put together by Big Pond so it's a pretty good partnership and I, I think the demographics work just as it does with Telstra being involved in AFL football and rugby league um, but I've always felt they should really be utilising it more and more effectively um, well, how long the deal lasts, um, I'm not entirely sure. I think it's got at least another year after this. Well, well, I suppose what, but, that land, but that whole landscape is going to change radically in, in terms of... I suppose, what I'm, I suppose what I'm getting at, mate, is like, you know, OK, so it's all good for, you know, Cochrane Inc. and all that lot, and, and, and you know, and you and, and the others that sit there at the desk and, you know, you get your connection, whatever, and you do your stuff and the marketing goes out... But here we have, what about the people that go, oh my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a, 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 a Telstra product because I feel like by buying it I'll be closer to the, the world of supercars and maybe I'll get to meet a driver. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, aren't, we let, aren't they letting the customers down at the end? They're really not thinking about the customers. It's all about profit. And don't even start me about V8 supercar card. card. Whether they do the job effectively or not, and that's a a long and tedious argument, but the fact is that if you're a a Telstra mobile phone customer or Big Pond customer, you have access, um, free access, um, to a lot of, um, well, free as in it's unmeted, um, to V8 supercar content. So if you're a V8 supercar fan, that's one way of accessing a lot more information either at home or on the move. So if you are a V8 fan and you're looking, you have an insatiable appetite for information, well, that's that's probably your most local choice as far as um, uh, telecom um, providers are concerned. Uh, I honestly don't know what Vodafone do because they have a big sponsorship with Triple Eight Racing and uh, how much they utilise that and how much V8 content which would obviously be Triple Eight focused, you can get on Vodafone. I honestly don't know. I know in the early stages of that deal, they did try to provide a lot of content, but they were frustrated by um, V8 Supercar's relationship with mm. Telstra through Big Pond. 
Cast your mind back in time. Can you recall the last time Optus was involved in V8 supercar sponsorship? Because we have the other two. That may I, mean there could be something, an offer, some sort of an opportunity there. Well, there may be, but I think basically it probably gets too hard there. Um, effectively, if not physically, you know, blocked out. They can't run any meaningful content on their website or provide it to their customers. So and That's the same thing with um, Vodafone, as basically supercars locking them out of content? Other than... Uh, there are restrictions on what they can do at the track, yeah, that, that, and, and, you know, what V8 supercar footage they can use. There are restrictions, or they're basically barred from using that because of V8 supercar's deal with Big Pond, and, you know, as... I mean, can, 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 can Vodafone, can Vodafone on, do their own... Can Vodafone do their own? Like, can they do interviews of Jamie and, and Craig at the track in their own pit bay and put it up? Or has it got to be away from the track? Is it like, what, do you know what, the, what, the, what the, the blanket says? Like, how much they can do at the track? At the, the most they can do is from inside the 888 garage within the confines. And they, uh, at least last year or the year before, they were doing that. But... The game may have changed then, as I said, I haven't kept track of what Vodafone's doing. Um, they may not be able, even be able to do that, um, certainly, you know, because of their commercial relationship with Big Pond. Um, they make it as hard as possible, you know, yeah, Big well. Pond or Telstra's rivals to, uh, to do anything at the track. And, you know, that may not be very sat uh, satisfactory, but that's just the, the way of the world with commercial contracts. So I don't see that changing in a hurry. And, until and unless um, V8 Supercars' platform sponsorship deal with Big Pond um, um, is not renewed. We, know, we won't know about that. Do you uh, think that's uh, in the wings? I honestly have, I have no idea it's whether Big Pond sees they're getting value for you know, the money they're putting into it and the effort mm. they're extending. Um, that's a good question that I might ask someone from Big Pond the next time I see them. That's a very good idea, folks. Well, regardless of what carrier you're using... Uh, if you've got an iPhone, you'll be probably quite amazed to hear that the iTunes, the App Store, is just coming up on a year old, I think, uh, towards the end of this month. And they've already hit 1.5 billion downloads, which is pretty amazing when you think that uh, you know the, the thing's only a year old. And um, how many developers have uh, come up with all these little apps uh, that, that are up on the, uh, up on the App Store? Yeah, there's been a, a huge, uh, huge sucking down of apps. Sixty-five thousand, I reckon. I think it was on the on the uh, on the site. Most of them, sort of, not really worth buying. But some are, and you've got yeah, to hunt well, them down. The thing. But what's good or cool about that is that Apple hasn't really taken a huge amount of income off those developers. You know, and discourage them from working. No, they've made it so. No doubt they'll change it down the track. But it's uh, worth buying the phone because you've got that functionality available. No, it's uh, absolutely cool. As so the iPhone has taken the whole focus away from desktop and laptops from from Apple. Really, hasn't it? It's just it's yep. it's just like well, most people go. Well, what's Apple about these days? Well, it's uh, it's about. Phones and it's and about consumer electronics these well, days. JP, it's about connectivity. Yes, and the iPhone, despite its you know size, has the ability to be able to control vast organisations if you have the infrastructure set up. It, it is in no way to be considered a toy. It it is life changing, and I find that it has changed the way that I work. Um, and whilst we're sitting here with three very large screens surrounding us on three different computers providing the information that we need, having said that we wouldn't do this before, <laughs> but because we're doing video through, to, we're actually doing a video yeah, so to, we've got to, be to in Mark world in, in Melbourne. Yep. Um, and yeah, we're bringing up a little bit of information on, uh, on browsers, uh, on the various screens in front of us. But again, we told you we didn't edit. The iPhone... It's so cool, because today you did a launch of a whole new business strategy, JP. Yes, we did. Uh, you, you couldn't decide within the three directors. Yeah, two of you had agreed, one hadn't. Everything was poised to go. I went, look, I'm going to lunch. 
And, as uh, you do. As I do. And then you, I got the green light from the third guy. Well, I got I logged on to the machines here at home and sent all the information out as rich HTML email uh, to, you know, two or 3,000 recipients from where I was sitting having lunch. And I thought, that's really enabling technology. And, folks, I think that, um, I think that you know, your uh, involvement with us over the last... Uh, relatively short period of time in the history of Radio Hot Lab has opened your eyes as a journalist to what's really possible. It has. Technology, over the last 20 years, in fact, has changed the way we have all and certainly the way I've worked and has just got better and better and made the job of sending out, disseminating information easier and easier and faster and faster. So... Uh, yeah, and it has been an interesting period uh, carrying on every so often with you guys. And it didn't take me long to take over the show either, did it? So, no, it didn't. All good, really. <laughs> anyway, there we go. We've heard the wise words from our IT guru gurus there. What else have we got to discuss? Well, well is that pretty much it? No, we're not going to have got, any barbecue news. I've got yes, a little, barbecue news coming up. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe Can we get that to that, that please? Yeah, we've just got one thing, just in, you know, in deference to Linda, because we haven't heard from Linda for ages. I had dinner with Linda of... just the other night, and in fact, it was an interesting dinner of two ex-girlfriends at the same time. Couldn't keep them hands, couldn't keep their hands off themselves. A pair of them. <laughs> Speaking of dinner, I'd like to get to mine. Can we push on, please? Oh, sure. He takes over. Suddenly he's in a I, You know, JP, I was just settling in for a very uh, long show. Well, you'll be pleased to hear, and something that's been <laughs> not particularly well covered by any uh, any other media outlets, apart from my... I know AA uh, always gives results, but... AA, um, AA, Alcoholics <laughs> Anonymous. <laughs> but but uh, certainly not in any of the mainstream media that I've seen, but um, unbeknownst to a lot of people, probably, uh, Cody Crocker... Um, uh, uh, mate, sorry, just I, I, won can, the I, can, Asia... I, can I just stop you there for a sec? What? Oh, oh, folks, you're gesticulating. Do you need to go up and get another drink? On, that's, that's not what I was uh, gesticulating about. Please continue. I'm fascinated. Cody Crocker. We've now spilled into episode 120. Just won oh, another he's, he's, round of the Asia Pacific Rally Championship, which puts him in the lead, and he's leading the table now by 47, uh, 47 points, just one shy of the maximum available. Um, apparently, it was a, uh, a pretty... Uh, pretty uh, full-on rally and um, lots of uh, good competition and um, he took the uh, the first leg by miles um, and then only two points in leg two but uh, certainly zipped across the rest of the weekend and increased his lead uh, over the second place person which is a um, Katsu Togushi so there you go so good on Cody Crocker and a uh, bit of rally news for a change the other thing I just I read the other day and I can't work out where I we're a, we're a little bit, but isn't Chris Atkins Chris Atkinson going to have a bit of a local race somewhere? Folks, he must. He raced have. in the mini. He raced in the mini challenge the at Townsville. Mini challenge in the Uber Star car. How yeah. was that? He did all right. That's on TV tomorrow, actually. Mini challenge. If pretty you uh, want to watch it live, viewers. It's pretty tough. Saturday at uh, one, I think. Okay, barbecue banter. Ba- barbecue. He-, he wants to go, doesn't he? He does. He's yeah, urgent. No, I think we should slow the whole thing down. Yeah. You know, well, we'll, we'll I got to go too, you know. We won't have yeah. a show very often. I mean, but, Friday. Well, I just leave you to it then, and I'll just wander back in Barbecue, really and truly, I haven't done anything with the barbecue for a couple of weeks. But homemade. it's homemade soup weather, viewers. Forget the barbecue. Just get yourself a couple of kilos of zucchinis. HMSW Racing. Three large onions. Stick them in a pan with some uh, a litre of chicken stock, let them simmer, and then just blend the whole lot together. Fantastic winter warming soup. Absolutely perfect, JP. But you know what I often think is a good idea to do, because I've done your recipe before, is a couple of chorizo, yep. and to uh, fry them up, and slice them rather than fry them up, so you get a little bit of chunk factor. Yeah. Because you have got this puree going on, and then uh, a little bit of, ooh, the saltiness of... The um, of the, the chorizo, chorizo because yep. chorizos are only good if they're fried up. Then they get that crispiness. 
Or oh, the other alternative you... is you do your croutons. You just get a couple of slices of bread and uh, chop them up into little squares, and stick they... them in the oven, they... let them uh, dry out for about an hour. And Melbourne croutons? And, um, and then just stir a bit of cream in and you're away. Beautiful. Mm. There you go, folks. So that's made you even hungrier to go out to dinner now, hasn't it? It does. I'm... Where are you off to tonight, now? Where are you off to? Are you going out? No, I just want to go and have something to eat, if you don't mind. <laughs> are, you, are you having a, a quiet night We in? shouldn't forget it. It's 7.30 over there. I, I am having a quiet night. Well, that's good too. There's something well, else there in the go. food department. Well, guys, thanks for appearing on the show. It's good to have you. We'll look forward to uh, you <laughs> coming back on Radio Hot Folks uh, sometime in the future. So, that's viewers, if you're all awesome. still awake after this epic episode... 119 stroke 120 of Radio Hot Lap. Well, sorry, you've just missed it. We're off. Good night, guys. Good night, viewers. Good night, Good viewers. Night. Good night, viewers. 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 Good He's taking over the brand. Right, that's it. I've been drinking a lot of beer. I've got to go for a pee. All right. All right. I've had, phone, I've had the phone going and everything, so it's just a little oh, bit of did you have a little poo-poo, did you, Nappy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, we should